Welcome to The Growth Factor, a broadcast ministry of St. Mark Baptist Church. Today, as part of our family, you will experience the life-changing and spirit-nurturing Word of God. Please enjoy this time with us, where we're committed to helping you grow in knowledge, grow in faith, and grow in God. St. Mark Baptist Church, you grow here. Well, hello and welcome everyone. I am Pastor Chris McDonald, the online campus pastor here at St. Mark Baptist Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I am so excited to kick off another season of the Growth Factor podcast with our Grounded series. Yes, in this series, we are doing something new. We're going to be answering some cultural questions that intersect with the Christian faith. And these questions being asked and answered through these grounded conversations are going to help you grow in your view of God, which will ultimately help you with your faith in God. Amen. And so I have the privilege of starting off these grounded conversations by helping us answer this question. Is God a misogynist? Yeah, we're going there. Does God view men and women the same in his word and in the world today? How can I love God when I'm not sure that God loves me and who I am as a man or a woman? We are going through this season called Grounded Conversations, where we are bringing our faith into some thought-provoking discussions this season. Listen, are y'all ready for this discussion? In this episode, y'all, we are going to be discussing what the Bible teaches us about who God is in light of who God created us to be, okay? Especially when it comes to how we believe God views us as male and female. Listen, what the word says is different than what the world is saying, especially right now in this modern context of living. The word of God is saying something different than the world is saying, and we got to clear that up. Amen. Because the reality is many people have abandoned Christianity or walked away from the faith because they did not fully trust God as a fair God or a God who treated people equally especially when it comes to gender. So let's address this question. Is God a misogynist? That's a loaded question, right? This question, though, is so important in today's culture when it comes to how we embrace or reject Christianity, because the reality is our religious beliefs fuel our behavior and our ministry to other people, because it's hard to love who we do not trust. And if we do not trust God, we can't really say that we love God. And if we do not trust who God says he is, it's going to be hard for us to abide by his commandment to love him and to love others as we love ourselves. Our perception of who God is then is often based on what we experience in the culture around us and how we then internalize it within us. Therefore, our perception of God will ultimately impact the way that we treat others and the way that we treat ourselves. So y'all developing a healthy view of God for ourselves is necessary to answering cultural questions like, is God a misogynist? It's necessary because it's going to help us to be stronger in our faith. Because y'all, let's be real. The issue really isn't about who God is. The issue is about 
who we have shaped God to be in the world that we live in. It's not about who God is. It's about who we have shaped God to be in the world that we live in. So we need a healthy and holy view of God in the world that aligns with God's word. And when we have a healthy and holy view of God, we can then effectively reach those in our community who are doubtful about the word of God and are hesitant to put their faith in God. When somebody believes that we trust God in being who he says he is in his word, then we can encourage others to trust that same God. That is what we can accomplish in evangelism and discipleship. So it's important to answer questions like, is God a misogynist? And so our goal here in this discussion is to understand who God is for ourselves so that we don't allow the culture to define who God is for us, risking the abandonment of our faith. Are y'all with me? Amen. Because we will eventually abandon what we do not fully accept. So first, let's talk about why people would even question if God is unfair to a certain gender or group of people in the first place. Why do people question if God is unfair to women especially? Well, two things. One, there's a misunderstanding of biblical doctrine. Scripture has been misinterpreted for decades. And then two, there's a misunderstanding of who God is in the Bible. The reality is when we misunderstand the word of God, we will misunderstand who God is because who God is, is based on his word. If we do not understand the word of God, there's no way that we can truly understand and grasp just who God is. Some people believe that the Bible supports or condones the mistreatment or oppression of women simply because there are portrayals of culture in the Bible that display or describe sexism and misogyny. We're not going to act like the Bible does not display or describe examples of sexism and misogyny. It's real. The Bible is full of real life uh, events with real people. Amen. And so we're going to experience some things in that world the same way that we experience in our world today. But let's talk about what sexism and misogyny is, because guess what? Some people may not be clear on what it is we're talking about. So let's first understand that sexism and misogyny are not the same thing, okay? Sexism is when one gender, usually male, desires or encourages control or dominance over another gender, usually female. That's sexism. Misogyny, on the other hand, is when there is a total disregard of women or there is an ingrained bias against women, especially in cultures, policies and laws. Y'all know y'all seen it in certain sectors of society. The laws and the policies that are created are not geared to support women the same way that they're geared to support men. OK. So these words are not synonymous. Sexism is not misogyny, but misogyny can display some sexism. Are y'all with me? Someone can really like women yet passively ignore or purposely disregard the oppression of women in male dominated spaces. So it's possible to like women, really love women, your daughters, your sisters, your cousins, your aunties and your grandmother, yet still refuse to respect women in positions of leadership, especially when they serve alongside you. Okay. And unfortunately, sexism and misogyny are both a direct result of sin that shows up in our culture. But get this, it is not the desire of God for the Christian faith. Did you catch that? 
Sexism and misogyny are both a direct result of sin that shows up in our culture, but it is not the desire of God for the Christian faith. God loves you because his desire for you is to be affirmed because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God's desire is not for you to feel oppressed or be oppressed. Amen. So in Genesis 3 verse 16, the text tells us that because of sin entering into the picture, the woman's desire would be contrary to her husband, but he would rule over her. And this is where we get lost in the culture because we see that word rule and we automatically think we are supposed to be inferior to the man. This is the opposite though of what Genesis 1 and 2 tell us about the woman corresponding to or being like the man as his rib. Thus, God's original idea of creation, y'all, is not the ideals of culture. God's original idea of creation is not the ideals of culture. Let's talk about it. What does it mean for the woman to be a helper, the rib to a man, yet not be inferior or subordinate to the man? Culture often defines a woman as a man's rib, but unfortunately there's misunderstanding of what it actually means regarding who a woman is in the eyes of God and Adam at the start of creation. When proper study of the Hebrew word for rib is not done in Genesis, we can then infer that the woman is only a portion of or a piece of who the man is. And that is not correct biblical theology. The text, when exegeted properly, defines the woman as being parallel to or similar to the man. When we look at the Hebrew word for rib, we will discover that the woman is not just a piece of the man, but a part of the man that's parallel or similar to him. So the Hebrew word for rib is actually translated to mean the entire side. Did you know that? This is also seen in describing like the side of the ark or the side of a hill or the side of a mountain in scripture. It means it's the same but distinct. You can take a mountain, you can split it in half. It's still the same side of the mountain. They're still both, they are, they're identical, but they have distinct parts now because they are separate. Okay, so let's be clear. It means the entire side. When, at, when Eve is taken from Adam, it means he, a parallel part of him is taken, okay? So essentially the text is pointing to the other half. When we say in culture today, she's my other half, he's my other half, we are literally meaning when, when Eve is taken from Adam, a ration of her is not taken, but she is taken to resemble Adam, okay? So scripture affirms that God made male and female in likeness to one another. We have to understand that in order to be able to affirm that we are both created in the image of God. Scripture even says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, which underscores the complementary nature of man and woman. Notice I said, complementary, okay? Meaning we are corresponding to one another. We are parallel. We are equivalent. The creation account does not suggest that God created Adam and then positioned Adam to subdue Eve and the land and the animals. The word subdue used in the original Hebrew language means to make subordinate, to be subservient, or dependent on. 
But according to Genesis 1, God created them to subdue together. And we have to pay attention to that word them, meaning both and, okay? God created them to subdue together. In Genesis 2 verse 15, it further shows in the creation account that God created Adam and then positioned Adam to work the land and watch over it. And I don't want y'all to miss this because yes, sometimes we say that Adam was meant to be ruler over Eve because he came first. Catch this. Adam was created to work the land and watch over it. Okay. God created him first to serve the land and the Lord to serve. Adam was serving, but he was not yet fully subduing. Remember in Genesis 1, God said they were created to subdue, meaning man and woman, they together. But in Genesis 2, Adam is created first to work the land and to watch over it, meaning to have dominion over what God called him to serve. So he was to serve the land as he served the Lord. But there was a point while Adam is serving, he knew that he was not yet fully subduing and he knew that something was missing. Scripture says itself that no helper was found corresponding to him. Y'all, no helper was found corresponding to him. No helper was found equivalent to him that could help him to subdue the land. So the text suggests that Adam did not have what he needed to fully do what God had called him to do as a human in the earth. There are some of you who are struggling right now because you're trying to do it all on your own. And God is saying you cannot fully do what I've called you to do because you're not partnering with other people. Amen, somebody. Amen. The ability to subdue the earth cannot happen without Eve. That is why Eve had to be created. Adam could serve well, but he could not subdue well alone. Adam could serve well alone, but he could not subdue a well alone. And so Eve was given to Adam for earthly support, no different than the Holy Spirit is given to us today as a helper for eternal support. The same word that is used for helper for the Holy Spirit and God for us is the same word helper used for Eve. Okay. So God established order in creation of man and woman, but God did not create man to have order over the woman. The fall is responsible for disorder and the degradation of women, not God. That is not what God intended. Scripture has been used for centuries to uphold patriarchal views of males subjugating women to an inferior role because of misinterpreted texts preceding and following the fall. And so Genesis 3 verse 16 is definitely a popular text often used in the oppression of women. It's used in the oppression of women in the home, on the job, in academia, and especially in ministry. Trust me, I know. Men and women alike both justify sexism and misogyny in all sectors of society because they place their need to control over their need to be in community with others. Did you catch that? God designed us for community with others, but sin entices us to control others. God calls us into community, but sin calls us to control. 
Okay. And Genesis three is not suggesting that we prescribe our lives to what sin says it should be. Yes. Sin says that Eve will be contrary to Adam. Yes. Scripture says that Adam will then rule over Eve, but that is what sin has, has done to us. That is the consequence of sin. But we are to purpose ourselves to live a life that God designed it to be, which means opposing sin when it finds an opportune time to infiltrate our personal and our professional relationships with others that God created in his image, just like us. We are to be in community with others, not try to control others. And sin says that women will desire to be contrary, but we can choose to delight ourselves in the Lord so that the Lord will give us a desire to submit according to Ephesians 5. Yeah, we're going there because a lot of y'all don't like Ephesians 5 because of one word, submit. Submission is a dirty word to some people because we have misunderstood the context of scripture in the light of culture. But because we see something happening in the culture, it doesn't mean that God condones or overlooks it when it comes to his creation. I'm going to say that one more time. Just because we see something happening in the culture doesn't mean that God condones or overlooks it when it comes to his creation. So what does the Bible say about God's view of man and woman? We've already covered that Genesis 1 and 2 affirms that man and woman was created to be equal or equivalent to one another. Similar but distinct. Okay, so God created man and woman to correspond to one another. So that means we must interpret Genesis 1 correctly because this word man that is used in Genesis 1 when we're talking about being made in the image of God most translations refer to humanity, not the male gender. Okay. When it says man made in the image, it does not mean the gender male. It means humanity, man and woman. God also assigned both man and woman equal responsibility to fulfill the command of Genesis 1 verse 28 to subdue the earth. We've covered that. We understand now that both man and woman were charged after creation to subdue the land together and to serve the Lord together. Okay, here we see an introduction of co-shepherding or partnership to fulfill God's purpose to the earth to be fruitful and multiply. It takes both man and woman to be fruitful and multiply. So the subduing y'all could only truly happen if Adam and Eve partnered together one to the other. Adam was given tasks to watch and work so that he can then lead Eve in the process of how it's to be done so that she can help him subdue. There's order established in the creation, but we must remember that order is established, not control. Order is established, not control. The creation of man and woman was the crowning act of God as creator, y'all. The crowning act, which means when man and woman were both created in the likeness of Christ, in the likeness of God, in the likeness of the Holy Spirit, we were created as the crowning act of God as creator. We were called very good. We were called man and woman. Therefore, the woman being a helper to the man was not an inferior role. The Hebrew word for helper is ezer, ezer, E-Z-E-R, which is also the same word used to describe God as the helper of his people in the Old Testament. This word ezer is a relational word used to describe support and surrender, 
not subservience. Okay, this word helper is about support and surrender, but not subservience. When Adam asked for Eve, he asked for support. When Eve partnered with Adam, she had to surrender to the fact that he already knew the lay of the land. Okay, they were commanded then to work together to accomplish the assignment that God had given them at the start of creation. This is why when Eve failed to remain obedient, Adam was also responsible by default because Eve had already yielded to what Adam showed her. Perhaps Adam failed to truly show her why it was important not to eat from that tree. Perhaps, perhaps Adam didn't lead well and Eve didn't listen well. Perhaps the fall was the responsibility of both man and woman. Okay, Genesis 3 verse 16 is not God assigning assigning gender roles. Okay, it is simply a description of the consequences of sin, which is conflict with one another. When we have conflict with one another, that is the result of the fall. That is the result of sin. And that is why we are called to create community with one another, partnership with one another for the purpose of glorifying God. We are not called to want to subdue one another, to control one another, because that is not what God intended. So a depiction of sin in society is not a description of who God is as our savior. A depiction of sin in society is not a description of who God is as our savior. God wants to save us from sin, not see us in sin. We don't have Genesis 3 verse 16 because God decided that he wanted to see us in conflict and see us controlling one another. No, that is the result of sin. But God in his loving kindness sent the Savior so that we could be rejoined with one another as we are joined back with him. Amen. Amen. So what does God require from us based on who he is to us? As we are wrapping up this discussion on this evening, what does God require from us based on who he is to us? Well, one, God requires us to submit. And remember, I said us. God requires us to submit. And then two, God requires us to serve. God requires us to submit and God requires us to serve. Serving and submission are both still holy and necessary for men and women to respect and honor one another. Unfortunately, though, in this age of liberation and progression, the word submission is countercultural and is viewed as a dirty word in culture. It is viewed negatively as oppression or subjugation. But submission is not oppression and submission is not subjugation. The word serve is also countercultural and is viewed in the world today as self-love. Okay. The word serve is viewed in today's world as self-love, but that is not what God intended when Christ was sent to the cross. And Philippians tells us that he emptied himself even to the point of death. So what shifts our perspective is the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. Sin desires to have us, but we must master it. And the only way that we do that is through the Holy Spirit as our helper. Yeah, the Holy Spirit operating within us offers us the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We are called and empowered by the Holy Spirit to control self, not other people. And scripture commands us in Ephesians chapter 5 to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're so quick to jump to Ephesians 5, 22 and 23, where it's talking about what the woman is to do for the man and what the man is to do. But we skip over the introduction to that when scripture calls us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why is that there first? Because God knows that in order for us to be able to respect and honor one another as man and woman, we need the Holy Spirit as our helper. Amen. When we are allowing the Holy Spirit to guide our behavior, we will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and we will serve one another out of relationship. Okay, we must be careful not then to interpret New Testament words, Paul's words as a contradiction to the fundamental attitude of Jesus Christ. Paul submitted to the fundamental attitude of Jesus Christ, which is to serve, not be served. And that's what Philippians reminds us of. Just because scripture describes sin, y'all, doesn't mean we have to submit to sin. Just be, because scripture def, def, describes sin doesn't mean God dis, subscribes to sin. And I'm going to say that one more time. Just because scripture describes sin doesn't mean God subscribes to sin. Man-made societal systems in the Bible and in modern society are not a depiction of God's plan for humanity. Misogyny is a result of the fall. It is, a, it is not a result of a God who doesn't love us. It is sin. God enacted laws, therefore, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament to protect women and prevent them from being wounded by the sins of patriarchy. So the very definition of a pure and undefiled religion, according to James chapter 1, is to care for the vulnerable, which includes women and children. Because in the eyes of God, women and children are important, they are valuable, and they are significant to the kingdom. And ultimately, when we choose to honor women as valuable in the eyes of God, the way that God sees them, we also honor God as our sovereign creator. And just like we actively choose not to sin in other areas of our lives, we can actively choose not to submit ourselves to sin in relationships with the opposite sex. Ladies, I need you to know that if we can choose not to be rebellious with God, we can also choose not to be contrary with our men in our lives and get on one accord with them. And men, my brothers, if we can choose not to disgrace God in our own lives, we can also choose not to degrade women and instead attempt to position them as crowns of favor. According to Ephesians 5, the husband is to be a Christ-like servant leader who serves his wife with the kind of love that is ready and willing to die to himself for her sake. That sounds real Christ-like. A husband's headship then is not a license for dominance or lordship over another woman. His position is to care for his household the way that Christ cares for the church. And listen, Christ devoted himself to the church. Christ sacrificed himself for the church. Christ emptied himself for the church. And so it is with man. Devote yourself to loving the women around you. Devote yourself to appreciating and respecting the women around you. Sacrifice yourself for the good of community. 
and empty yourself of the pride that comes with the sin. Even Christ said in Mark 10 verse 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. If a man is more focused on a woman doing these things for him rather than with him, then guess what? He has lost control as the head of his own sanctuary. He doesn't truly understand the assignment of the savior. And scripture is clear that we are to consider ourselves better. We are to consider others better than ourselves. And therefore y'all, we are challenged by scripture, Old Testament and new, to live in a way that leads people to Christ, not our self-serving ways. So we must remember that according to Galatians 3 verse 23, which is Paul's words, that we were arrested by the laws of culture until Christ came so that we might be justified. We are all created in the image of Christ as co-heirs with Christ. We are all one in Christ. We are equal. We are not one above the other. And so the principle of scripture is clear. We must submit to one another and we must serve one another up to the point where obedience to human authority would involve disobedience to God. And you have to choose, am I going to be obedient to God so that God gets the glory? Or am I going to glorify myself and make someone else obedient to me? I pray that this lesson has blessed you. I pray that this conversation has grounded you more in your faith. And if you question whether God loved you or not, I pray that this lesson has helped you to understand that who God is, is love. And God loves you and values you and says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and that you are co-heir in Christ. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to close us out. Listen, I want to take the time if this has sat with you and it has convicted you or if it has confirmed that God has called you as valuable in his kingdom. I want you to text the keyword connect to next the, text the keyword connect to 501-299-9009 so that we can have a connecting conversation about Christ and this community because this is a community where we are growing together in love in learning serving and giving we're trying to reach wider so that we reach more people for the kingdom and that's man and woman alike this has been the growth factor a broadcast ministry of saint mark baptist church be sure to follow this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and join our facebook group the growth factor for daily motivational content Let's keep the conversation going. Thank you for listening.